a beloved community member, Air Force veteran, and avid reader, John Daly Hammond is someone everyone in Thermopolis knows. So when he didn't show up for lunch at the Senior Center, his absence didn't go unnoticed. I'm Renee Nelson, and this is Unsolved Wyoming. Talking to Georgianne about her brother, I could instantly sense the deep love she has for who locals lovingly call John John. John was not only an accomplished linguist, but a kind soul who, after their father had broken his hip and then had a stroke, John moved in with him to take 24-hour care of him for five years. He was by his dad's side when he passed, just as he was with his wife, Debbie, when she left this earth. It's easy to see why John has been such a beloved member of not only his family, but of the community as well. Here's Georgian's interview on John. Folks, I am here with a guest. Can you tell us who you are and what your relationship is with John Hammond? Okay, uh, my name is Georgian Hammond, and I am his big sister. Pink sister, okay. And so, if I'm correct, right, there's there's a few of you, so it's not just you and John. Is there another sibling to you? Yeah, there's one older brother, Dave. So then in the birth order, so it sounds like John's the baby. Are you the oldest or the middle child? Middle. And what was John like growing up? He was always running around. I mean, like active, going here, going there. Didn't get in a whole lot of trouble. That was me. Um, But he was just your regular, active, inquisitive kid. All right. And what was your relationship like growing up and then as adults? Well, when we were growing up, I was kind of like the buffer between he and my older brother. They were both sports people. I didn't I didn't do much of that. So I was kind of like the go-between when brothers got too rough. He was just, you know, the, the little brother. Like I said, he didn't really tag along. He was always kind of had his own agenda running off and stuff. That's kind of like carried out to when we were adults he joined the service and then I got involved in construction and worked all over the United States so we didn't see each other a lot as adults till the last oh 10 years okay and you you know grow up and you kind of go off and do your own thing for a little while yeah and so did John have big aspirations of what he wanted to be when he grew up Well, I called my older brother about this to get his input because, you know, I don't recall anything specific, Mm -hmm. but what he did do uh, after he joined the service, and that's a whole big story right there, is because he was a language specialist. He wanted to be an interpreter. Oh, wow. But he also wanted to live in Wyoming. And those are like almost mutually exclusive. They are. You're right. But what a cool opportunity, though, that in a way that he was able to kind of taken care of, even though it wasn't necessarily in Wyoming. Well, exactly. And that's like one of the childhood stories I have is he would sit on my bed when I was trying to go to sleep 
and conjugate verbs in Spanish. <laughs> and I would literally have to kick him off my bed and like yell for mama coming you know, get your son <laughs> what a, what a funny thing for him to <laughs> annoy you with <laughs> oh my goodness I can't even imagine but what wow he, it sounds like he was incredibly gifted oh yeah he um he was recruited as a language specialist because by the time he graduated from high school he spoke five languages and so the Air Force came looking for him. He graduated in 1974 and immediately after graduation went to um, the Fort Presidio in, um, you know, Presidio Bay out in California mm -hmm. uh, as a language specialist and went through many, uh, a couple of years of language training for that. Wow. So by the time he was done, did he just still have the five languages or did he learn more? Well, he uh, did. He, yeah, he learned Russian in addition to the other ones he knew already because, you know, all the romance languages are kind of related. So those are easy to pick up. Mm -hmm. He liked German in high school and, and all that. But he was he specifically went to learn Russian for um, the service. So Spanish, I'm guessing French. Yes, Spanish, and we count we count Latin, right, and Latin. German, okay. and Russian. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! And you know, and in Latin is, it's funny. You know, thirty, forty years ago, it wasn't uncommon for for people to learn Latin, and now it seems, well, you know, being a dead language. You know, nobody really learns it unless you're going for your PhD and something really specific. So that's pretty incredible. Well, yeah, it was it was so we could. Um, we grew up in rural New Mexico, and my father and my mom both were from the mountains in southern Colorado. So, like I said, it was kind of remote, and they didn't have the chance to go to college. So they tried to prepare us every way they could to have a, a good life going on. So that involved understanding, and understanding involved, you know, that's Latin. So much is based on Latin. So, you know, dad got us a primer, and away we went. No kidding. And so I think that's a really good question. So it sounds like you grew up in New Mexico, but it also sounds mm -hmm. like all of you, when did you all move to Wyoming? Um, 1971. Yeah, 1971. What a different Wyoming that must have been. Uh, oh, so identical because um, it's oil field. Okay. We actually lived in an oil field town in Wyoming that uh, has since been um, completely shut down because it was um, unsafe to live there because of the hydrogen sulfide gas and other stuff. So the town that we grew up in doesn't even exist anymore, but it was, we were surrounded by oil fields. We were 30 miles from town, so we were pretty isolated and therefore we read and John ran a lot. He ran all over the oil fields. Wow. What, a, what an interesting upbringing. Going from there, it sounds like we already, you know, kind of talked a little bit about, you know, John's like career path. But so he he gets out of high school, gets recruited to go and be in the armed services. And so was it was it the Air Force that he's he served for or what branch of the military? Uh, it was the Air Force. And so part of his training and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later was uh, after he graduated from language school. 
was survival training. Now, survival training, in addition, my father also taught us that when we were young because we were always in the wilderness. You know, we always lived at the edge of the wilderness. So we all had pretty, well, and even have pretty good skills and knowledge. But then when he was in the service and then he was put through training to like be dropped into the ocean in Alaska. Cause you know, if you're going to be doing Russian stuff, you're going to be up in, in Alaska and stuff. So he even had a survival training in the service in addition to just our general lifetime stuff. Gosh. Wow. I feel like this is um, like a very, like almost like a spy, you know, thriller that we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, especially if it was from Mad Magazine. You no kidding, no kidding. And so, so what did he do after he got out of the Air Force? Well, after he got out of the Air Force, he came back to Wyoming, and then uh, was I still here by then? I, I'm trying to remember because it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he began where he worked as a roustabout. He worked uh, taking care of handicapped children. He just about like did this, that, and the other, like a lot of other people. He, but he, he never got back into language or anything. Okay. He really wanted to stay around family here. And that was my mom and dad. Gotcha. So kind of closed that chapter in his life and, and started doing other things. Yes. And one, one of the things that you mentioned too, when we did our pre-interview was that John did have a family of his own. Yeah, he married a very nice young lady who met him. He was calling bingo. And so she actually like ran him down because she liked how he he liked to have fun and he was a good guy and laughed all the time. So she kind of like tracked him down and married him. (laughs) What a meet cute, though, that you go after the bingo caller. That's adorable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's, That's really that's really nice. And and unfortunately, it sounds like she has passed away. Yeah, she passed away, oh, geez, like in 2009, 2008, from uh, lung cancer. She had grown up in Montana in the areas where there was a lot of um, uh, asbestos and stuff. So oh. she was she was younger than him by, I don't know, five, ten years. So she was pretty young when she passed away. Oh, that's so sad. I'm sure that was really hard on your brother. Yeah, he kept it really private, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it did change his life completely. I mean, it was like one more thing. Right. And, you know, kind of moving into what's your favorite thing about John? Well, I was trying to think about that. And so many things came. It's, number one, he was kind. Mm-hmm. He was kind to everybody. He he didn't like to have problems. Um, he has a really, really good sense of humor, you know, like odd sense of humor uh we were raised with my my mom loved all that stuff mm-hmm. so we were always i'm trying to think of one of the people but it doesn't really matter and he loved dogs and dogs loved him so so those are three things you know that just shows that he was he was a really good guy yeah definitely it sounds like it. i mean well i mean volunteering and taking handicapped children around i mean you have to be a special type of person to be able to do that oh yeah and so kind of moving into some of the harder stuff, unfortunately, right, if we're having this conversation, it's not because 
you know, there's something happy going on, unfortunately, with John. And so we need to talk about kind of like what was going on with John, you know, uh, prior to his disappearance. And we can kind of set that up to, um, you know, the date, you know, that that John disappeared. And can, what can you tell us about everything that was going on prior to John's disappearance? Well, he had um, just re- reached the age that he could retire early. My mother counseled us all, if we could, to retire early. There are years that you're healthy when you get older. And she said those years of health and travel were more important than money. So he had just filed and re- been approved for um, Social Security. So he had quit his job a couple of months earlier and was running around helping friends do this and do that. And I know he helped somebody move to Oregon. So he was just going to the library and reading books and waiting for his life to get secure as a, as a retired dude. And how amazing. I, I mean, and bless your mother for telling you to do that because I mean, goodness, right. We don't want to be Walmart greeters when we're like 80. Right. So exactly. <laughs> so good for him. And so he is, you know, so he's, he's, he's retired, you know, just getting approved for social security is, is just kind of living his everyday life. Tell me about the events that led to him being reported as missing. I'll, I'll try to get this as organically as possible. One thing John was, was absolutely true to his friends through everything, no matter what his friends did, how their lives were, the problems they had. He was always a friend to them because that's the way he was. So that's very pitiful to his disappearance because he disappeared while out with one of his friends, a friend he'd had for like 40 years right so um when we found out he was missing um i was sitting here at home and um knock on the door open it up and it's his friend and his friend says well is has john been around and i'm like no and he goes well and he's shuffling his feet and looking at the ground and all that because that's kind of what he was he didn't was a guy who didn't always meet your eye Mm. anyway um he said, well, we went out camping last weekend and John wandered off and we never found him. And I'm like, what, uh, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we were out camping and he got out and, and went to use the bathroom and we just never could find him again. And so that was on a Thursday and he had disappeared on a Saturday night. So, of course, I got as much information as I could and then I called the police. And the police um, eventually tracked him down and interviewed him um, as to why they didn't report him missing at the time or, you know, call out the, the troops or anything is, is pure speculation. You know, I, I could say what I would think, but I, I'm kind of invested in that I'm mad about the whole situation. That's kind of what it was, is we found out, even though he had come to town and told other people that he had left John out there nobody came forward till somebody till that guy came to talk to me and so so this friend of 40 years he goes 
supposedly, you know, goes camping with and, and just wanders off. Was it just the one gentleman or were there was there a group of, of individuals? Well, there were two other people. There were um, a, a, a guy with a pickup truck and two dogs and then my brother and uh, a, his friend and then a, another guy. I don't know how good of friends they were. So there were uh, that, that's four guys and two dogs, two vehicles. But the thing was, is every time they re-interviewed the, the people, the story would change. And until it was like, well, we don't know what happened. We got out there and we all thought he was with the other person. So the story of how he disappeared changed. The miles that were covered to be able to search were expanded from like a five-mile search to over a 50-mile search. Oh, my gosh. That's a big, that's a big chunk of land to cover. Yes, especially knowing where the area is. Right. And so he goes missing the evening of 11-6-2021. And it says that it's around Miracle Mile, Sage Creek, in Carbon County, yeah. Wyoming. Exactly. Okay. Gosh, what a wild situation. And so where is the investigation currently? Um, nobody's talking. Nobody's talking. Okay. Yeah. They've all more or less lawyered up. And unless there is a body found, then there's no proof that anything went is wrong. It's just like he just wandered off and that's the end of that. And there you go. <sighs> that's hard. That is a hard situation. It's maddening <laughs> because, you know, you always want, the word is which I don't care for, it's it's closure. But the 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 more I just want accountability, you know, especially when this is a, a friend. It's it's such a slap in the face, right? To, sure to a friend and the whole term of friendship to be treated in that manner, and it's the disrespect that is very annoying to me. Yeah, well, if he if they've been friends for forty years, obviously he's been in your life for a very long time as well. And so it's not some stranger that he met, you know, three months ago, but somebody that you grew up with too, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, I wandered off early working in construction. So um, I, I had met him several times and he always like treated John well as far as, you know, um, a person that was there, you know whenever anything would happen, you could like call him up and say, you know, John needs a ride here or, you know, maybe you guys can come and I would hire people to do yard work for me. And they'd always like get together and go do the work and stuff. So like I said, I didn't know him very well personally because but, I was gone for so long. Right. But he was good friends with your brother. Y yes. Oh goodness. And so, and and, and you and I have spoke about this a little bit prior to, it sounds as though your older brother, who is going through his own issues right now, health-wise, uh, is staying incredibly positive through all of this. But you feel as though this, this is not something you can be positive about, that, you know, you're very realistic, very pragmatic about it. And don't well, yeah, especially after um, 
because now we know I, I'm a conservator. So I do all, all his financials and then I, I've gone down and um, um, given my DNA. So in case they find a body and I try to keep on any of that stuff. So the, the constancy of trying to find him, but then to know that there is no trace of him whatsoever, because, you know, he had his, his struggles with stuff. Like he had been arrested more than one time for public intoxication. He did not drive. And so, you know, life experience tells you if that's happened a couple of times, it's due to happen again. Mm -hmm. So there's been no, um, no trace of him in, in any manner whatsoever. No hits on anything at all. And is nobody's tried to get into his money. There's been absolutely nothing. Oh, that's, that's heavy. That's a, those are some heavy facts. When when we talked previously, you mentioned that you were doing some of your own work in the investigation, like searching around the area yourself. Can you tell me about Well, that? I went out there initially. Um, of course, it was right before the winter hit. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but uh, I, I drove from here to um, Rollins and talked to the uh, officer and then drove out there myself. And so... It's quite complicated. Well, not complicated, but, you know, you run out of paved road about 10 miles into the journey. And then it's the most beautiful drive, especially if you're from Wyoming, because you end up like going along the North Platte River and then over these little mountains. And it was just really, really nice. And then you drop down into the area where, you know, he was lost. And it's a great big fishing area that is nationally known. So right south of where they were going fishing, because they were going away from people, there's like, I'm not quite a mile, but maybe a quarter mile. And there had to been at least 10 organized campsites. So where there were like, uh, what do they call the um, stations where you can go to the bathroom that aren't connected, you know, just like the ones at any fishing spot. But right. there were a lot of them, and there were a lot of fishermen up the river because that's why they went out there, was mm -hmm. going fishing, but they were fishing in the reservoir. But other than that, in the area they were, it's like all sagebrush as high as your knee, and a, a lot of gullies because it's near, you know, the, the river and all. But, I mean, there's no tree cover and just, you know, a lot of gullies and washes. And incredibly windy. That's why there's no trees. In fact, sometimes you can only get out one side of your car and you never open both doors. But that's a Wyoming story, right. you know, because the wind would be blowing so hard, like 60 miles an hour. You can't open your door against that. Right. You have to crawl yeah. up the other side or the back. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I went out and drove all over the, the areas that I could get to with my vehicle and um, then walked around some, and it got so where, because it was winter, it it was just so cold and blustery and starting to rain. I didn't want to be stranded out there. So I only spent like four hours actually out there myself. Now, previous to that, the week before, the um, sheriff department had 
not only gone out and searched for him um, on horseback, but they went in with drones. They had two different kinds of drones, you know, one looking for body heat, another one that looked for disturbances in the ground. They used his search, and this is what the, the detective told me, as a way to train people. So they even had extra people out there to train on how to search people for people. So that took prior to me going out there. Then after that, uh, a friend of his named Wes Huckman, I want to mention him because he's been so nice to go out. He went out there and even using global positioning everywhere he walked and just spent weekend after weekend out there looking for him. Immediately after the time that John disappeared, you know, had a, a good record of where he had looked. And there was never any trace of anything ever found. Gosh, how frustrating. How frustrating. And and this is kind of where, you know, in terms of him wandering off or getting lost, going back to what we talked about earlier in terms of John not only receiving training growing up from your dad in what to do in, in, this, in the wilderness and survival skills, but obviously received military training as an adult. And it sounds like he went outdoors quite a bit. I mean, oh, yeah, we were. Well, you know, this is Wyoming. What right, can you say? This is what we do, right? This is what we yeah. do, right? And so, so it just seems as though, you know, the scenario of him kind of wandering off and not being found or not coming back because of those survival skills seems very odd. Well, yeah, you know, the only thing you could think of is, is injury, like tripping over something and hitting your head on a rock Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, so you were unconscious because even if you were able to do anything, you know, because there's plenty of dry wood around there. I don't know, but the wind being able to start a fire sorry i have a weird sense of humor in the wind you also know that you know if you're injured how to shelter yourself and that you go find water and where they were you know you knew there were other people out there within reasonable distance that it was just like absolutely disappeared completely and so Uh, One of the things, too, that I wanted to follow up on is that I looked up NamUs, which is the National Database for Missing Persons, and he is not entered into that. Did you follow up on that at all with the investigators? Um, I haven't gotten a hold of the investigators yet. There's been um, a lot of things happen here in Thermopolis that have a lot of tragedies here in our town, I teen heard. suicides and, and just really, really bad things. Officers involved shooting. And so I haven't, I haven't wanted to, what do you call it? Bother law enforcement because yeah. they're very stressed out right now, but I did go register on there myself. So I have okay. the ability to do any kind of searching on there. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. And then because one of the things that you said and and mentioned this, but, you know, kind of iterating this aspect of John is that he always had, he was always at the library, right? And so you, you know, have been monitoring even his library card and there hasn't been any activity. Yeah, there's been a no, no, uh, no access in the Wyoming base. 
So I want to talk, if I could, a little bit about John and reading, because yeah. that's part of his identity here in town. That was one of the, the, the research things I was trying to figure out. What could I say about him? Uh, so he liked to walk a lot. He walked all the time, but he liked to read. So he would read while he was walking. So he would have an open book and walk all over town reading and looking up and making sure, you know, he wasn't going to crash into anything. So that made him kind of one of the people everybody in town knew. Right. So, you know, uh, I could tell you many stories about that, but we, we won't go there. So the, the people at the library and the senior center, which are really close together because he ate at the senior center, mm-hmm. he was single and they had better cooking than than himself (laughs) i understand that yes yeah so they they both kept an eye on him and see he liked the computer so if you go into the library he would register on the computer so i knew if i wanted to find him because he was phone challenged he kept losing phones um i could always go to the library and find him and people sign in, you know, so I could see, well, John was here at nine o'clock this morning and, and on. So then, you know, I kind of had noticed that week that he hadn't signed in all week. But the library, not the library, but the senior center had asked for the police to go do a welfare check on him. Because he hadn't been in. Because he hadn't been in. Oh, my God. And yeah, see, so that's people other than us noticed he was gone before we did because you know he he did his own thing and everything we in fact we had talked on friday night about a book of course standing at the library making fun of each other that was on friday night anyway so you know it almost makes you feel kind of bad that that you didn't notice your brother was gone but you know he was just himself it was the other people that noticed first which means he's you know, was a kind of a pivotal part of the community. Yeah, I, I kind of look at him that way as, as, as somebody who'd always been around, somebody you could always point to and say, well, there's John John, which was a nickname from uh, high school. Oh, okay. I I just, I, I for some reason, the, the walking while reading just made me visualize, you know, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And so it just, what a what a character it sounds like your brother was. Well, yeah, he had uh, always loved sports, so he was, like, on the basketball team, really liked wrestling. And so when he we moved up here uh, and he joined the football, basketball, everything up here, there was already a big John, and there was a little John. So my, my brother comes to town, so what are they going to call him? They started calling him John John. So in town, he's known by that name, and when I came back after years of working you know, around the nation. Some people didn't even know that he had a sister, but everybody knew John John. That's how I would identify myself. I'm John John's sister. Oh, wow. And they're like, oh. Oh, wow. Gosh. And so I'm sure this is, you know, not just hard for you and your and your family, but also for the community as well. Yeah. They're, uh, Everywhere you go, somebody asks. So, you know, they care. And and some people, you know, ask, can I ask first? And I think that's very caring about the community to, to ask about asking. I'm sure that there's days where you feel really strong about it and you feel, you know, and then there's probably days where it's hard. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm a, 
I just, I've had enough stuff go on in life, you know, like my husband passed away shortly before I moved back here again. And then John's wife died right after that. So we kind of had that thing going on where it's something that we had in common, but we didn't talk about. If you know what I mean. Right. But a shared, but shared experience nonetheless. Yeah. What is it that you want to tell people who are listening? Well, there's a, a couple of things. Um, he was kind of uh, kind of political, and he really admired uh, one um, guy here in town who's, uh, uh, what is his name, Rod Miller, not here in town, but he's a, a kind of a, a political guy who is loves that area. And so, like, after John disappeared, um, we were trying to come up with a picture of him. You know, family doesn't. Our family doesn't take a lot of pictures for some reason. And so it was a friend of his that had a picture that that we used eventually for the thing. And then but when I would call other people to tell them that he was missing enough, other people knew people all up and down that area. They knew the ranchers that lived out there. They knew the um, oh, the 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 people Roddy roused about electrical people. So. And and it was also the time that you uh, they're out bringing in cattle because there's uh-huh. a lot of cattle out there, right. so everybody knew and kept an eye out for him the whole time. So I really want to thank all those people that you know cared enough to look and call and um, and call law enforcement with all these random wild stories and stuff, which some have a little bit of truth, and you know I know they do. Um, so I, I just want, you know, to uh, appreciate all the the people that have reached out to our family and tried to look for John or figure out what happened, even if they had to put themselves in like harm's way, you know, kind of like being a spy, you know, asking uncomfortable questions to people to try to get information for law enforcement. I really appreciate all those people. Right, because there's three individuals who are involved who, like you said, are not cooperating any longer and have lawyered up. So the only way to get that kind of information is by other people asking. And that's that is scary because if they have anything to do with this situation, it says a lot about what they're capable of. Yeah, exactly. And just keep in keep in mind who your friends are. Absolutely. Gosh. Well, I'm so glad to see amazing thing that has happened about doing this podcast is talking to people who have a missing loved one or unsolved, you know, homicide. And it's this kind of common thread that I'm finding is that it's the community that rallies around them to ask questions, to keep an eye out, to look, to ask. And I think that's great that that's true here too, and that you have an amazing community that's supporting you. And that, that is totally true. Even, even law enforcement comes on a personal basis to talk to me occasionally anyway, person to person. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. <sighs> Georgiana, I again, I'm so sorry that this is the conversation and how we obviously have come to meet. And so, but I am so glad that you do have that support and that law enforcement is there working the case for you. And so I just appreciate 
Thermopolis. I appreciate what the work you're doing because, you know, when you see all the people in the state that have disappeared and the constancy of having to keep people's names out there because it keeps recurring. And um, we, we grew up always, always lived next to a reservation. So to see what's being done to help, you know, with the indigenous people and them keeping their eye out and that keeps people's eye on there. Just the the fact that there's so many people that go missing is heartbreaking. And it, it's nice to live in a community that cares. I'm glad to hear that. And I totally agree. I don't know how we help Wyoming fix this problem to where we don't have so many people go missing. And so I, I'm just glad that I can help get your story out there and, and, and talk about John. And he sounds like an incredible individual. John Daly Hammond has been missing since the evening of 11-6-2021 around Miracle Mile, the Sage Creek area in Carbon County, Wyoming. He is a white male, age 65, 5'10", approximately 195 pounds, brown, gray hair, and hazel eyes. He was last to be known wearing jeans, a shirt of unknown color, dark gray jacket, brown suede shoes with with tennis shoe sole, and baseball cap. And this area is between Seminole and Pathfinder Reservoirs in early November. John is a walker and not dressed for the weather and had no phone. And there has been no contact since this time. If you have any information or would like to request additional information, please contact the Carbon County Sheriff's Office at 307-324-2776. You can also report anonymous tips to DCI as well. And that number is 307-777-7181. And you can come to the website and provide an anonymous tip too. Let's get the word out, folks. Let's bring John back home. And even if it's not in the way that we want it to be, just like Georgian said, some accountability needs to be had. Good afternoon, Desiree. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Fantastic. What an exciting time of year. We actually are getting warm weather, although I know it's still snowing in some places in Wyoming, but I know in Cheyenne it's warm. How's it going in Casper? It's been rainy today, but other than that, nice and warm. Uh, Got the AC going. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not snow. Well, good. Well, and so I just wanted to plug real quick before we get into DCI stuff, but tomorrow, so today's May 4th. May the 4th be with you for folks who love Star Wars. But tomorrow, May 5th, is actually a really important day for our line of work, but it is the Proclamation on Missing or Murdered Indigenous Persons Awareness Day. And so this has been a really great part of recognition in terms of missing and murdered Indigenous persons because it's not something that we have talked about recently. It, this is just a new conversation that we're finally getting into in the last few years. So it's really important just, you know, to bring it to the forefront. I wanted to mention it. Tomorrow, also known as Cinco de Mayo, if you are out and you're thinking about it, one of the things that they're asking folks to do is to wear red. Wear red in solidarity to show support for our brothers and sisters uh, in 
the day of missing and murdered indigenous people. So thank you for um, the governor for signing that proclamation and, and uh, yeah, just wanted to make sure people were aware. Yeah, that's exciting. The red handprint, obviously there's, you know, colors and symbols are really big. Different tribes uh, have different little things, but overall I like how the unified red symbolizes for missing and murdered indigenous. I think it's wonderful. Uh, and then on the 17th, we have a meeting coming up for the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Task Force uh, that we're both a part of, and it's open to the public. We encourage everyone to come. Please RSVP. There's lunch provided. They want to make sure they have enough room and food for everyone attending. If you have any questions or suggestions or you know, just want to be there in support, we'd love to have you guys there. Uh, that will be at the Wind River Casino on the 17th, and it's an all-day event uh, going on. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I believe, I'm, I could be mistaken, I believe that day they're going to reveal Emily Grant's uh, Missing and Murdered uh, study that she's putting out. Now, a few years ago, she put out one, and it made national news, world news. It was huge. Uh, the big number, the 710 missing indigenous people that came from her study. So this is, uh, it's been, I believe, two years since she put that out. So that'll have some great information and kind of uh, explain the things that we've been up to and improvements we've tried to make uh, within, you know, the indigenous missing and murder world. Uh, so yeah, it'll be a wonderful, wonderful time to get together with people and, and get some information out there and maybe come up with some new solutions for things. Definitely. And, and at this point, both you and I are, are both planning on attending in person. And so it'd be a really great time to also, you know, meet people and, you know, uh, anybody who wants to collaborate, you know, we'll, we'll both be there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what updates do you have for us from DCI? Sure. So the Laramie County Sheriff's Office asked for assistance in locating a runaway via Facebook. They were found shortly after. It's always wonderful. I always say how much I appreciate law enforcement sharing those. It seems like they uh, there's a big turnover with those cases once they get them out on social media. Uh, four cases have been removed from DCI's database and six cases have been added. Sophia Benea age 16, was last seen in Gillette on April 25th. She's a white female, approximately 5'6", 190 pounds, with blue eyes and black hair. She has a teardrop tattoo on her face, pierced ears, lip, and nose. At the time, it may be possible she's on her way to Texas. Anyone with information, please contact the Gillette Police Department at 307 682-5155. Georgery Bell, age 17, was last seen April 25th in Laramie County, Wyoming. He's a Hispanic male, approximately 5'11", 155 pounds, with green eyes and brown hair. He was last seen wearing a white muscle shirt, black shoes. He was last seen with a female in a dark Hyundai four-door vehicle. He's known to have scars on both of his ears. Anyone with information, please contact Laramie County Sheriff's Office at 307-637-6524. Angelo Bernard, age 14, was last seen April 22nd in Casper, Wyoming. He's a Hispanic male, approximately 5'6", 130 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair. He was last seen wearing jeans, a gray Pumbaa hoodie with black letters, a black Nike shoes with red laces on one and black on the other. 
He has a tattoo on his left thumb. Anyone with information, please contact the Casper Police Department at 307-235-8278. Tassa Trapper, age 14, was last seen April 22nd on the Wind River Reservation. She's a Native American female, approximately 5'9", 130 pounds, with brown eyes and hair. She was last seen wearing ripped jeans, a sweatshirt, white shoes, glasses with clear frames. She has a tattoo on her fingers and on her hands. Anyone with information, please contact the Wind River Reservation at 307-332-3112. Christopher and Brian Perea Cal were last seen March 4th in Laramie. They're believed to be heading to New York. Christopher, age 17, is a Hispanic male, approximately 5'2", 120 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair. Brian is 16, Hispanic male, approximately 5'5", 150 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair as well. Anyone with information, please contact Laramie Police Department at 307-721-2526. And of course, with all cases, you can contact Wyoming DCI at 307-777-7181. They also have the option to submit tips anonymously on their website. Awesome, Desiree. Thank you for those updates. Yeah, thank you. And folks, yeah, we'll hope to see you um, here in a couple weeks, and I'll plug that information into show notes, so be able to you'll be able to RSVP through that link. Thanks for joining me this week, folks. As always, I appreciate your support and listening to these stories. Share them. Get the word out. Let's keep John's name out there, along with everybody else who I've covered. And again, if there's a case that you think I need to cover, send it my way. I do have some exciting things coming down the line that will make getting in contact with me much easier. So be sure to be on the lookout for those. Until next time. <music>